0: Welcome to the Bore Colli Gig Podcast. I'm your host, Martina, obsessed like you about Bore Collies and dog training. Follow me to know more about this amazing breed and to learn from many inspiring dog professionals on how to make your training journey a success. Hello. So this episode is has um, been recorded last year, I think it was either... September or October, something like this. I mean, most of the episodes you're listening now have been recorded last year, but... Uh, well, all of them, actually. Um, but this was probably the first one I should have released um, this year. And the reason why I didn't is because it was very long and it needed a lot of editing. Um, not a lot of editing, but it needed some editing doing and I just put it off. So, uh, finally, um, this episode with Ellen. It's going live. Um, I don't have all the links that she mentions in the episode. She hasn't sent them to me. Um, I'm not sure they're not ready yet. I've asked for them. So if they will get to me before I publish the episode, you'll see them. Otherwise, you just need to reach out to her um, if you're interested in any of the um, online material that she's mentioning. Um, it's a very long episode. We talk a lot about uh, breeding again. Um, I think I mentioned in the episode, she was my first breeder and sheepdog handler. She has not been because I haven't released this episode early enough. Um, so probably in the meantime, you've listened to other episodes with other Border Collie trainers and breeders. But um, it's, uh, you know, she she has a lot of good points about breeding and about the breed, um, how she selects her dogs for breeding and... Um, yeah, it's, it's a very, very cool episode with a lot of um, food for thoughts. And if you would like it to be back to discuss um, a bit more maybe of mindset or, as we mentioned in the episode, some positive herding, then let me know. Um, don't forget to um, leave me some um, positive reviews if you like my podcast. I never mentioned this, but if you like my podcast... Leave some reviews on Spotify or Apple Music um, or anywhere really. Um, it would be good to read um, your reviews. And um, yeah, I hope you enjoy this episode and I will talk to you very soon. Hello, border colleague geeks, and welcome to a new episode. Today we have an international guest, um, which I'm very, very excited to hear all about. Welcome, Helen.
1: Well, welcome, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm really looking forward to this conversation.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. Um, I came to you through a friend, a mutual friend, Heidi. Uh, She's the one that suggested um, your name. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, we talked about you a lot. So I'm really, really um, interested um, to hear all about you. But uh, yeah, before we start talking about border collie, we deep dive into border collies you want to give a bit of an introduction about yourself what you do where you live um and all the important informations okay so um let's
1: see in a nutshell i have so i live in uh, kingston ontario canada which is kind of the eastern side of canada on a small um sheep working sheep farm um, I've got right now I only have about 15 sheep. I've had more in the past and and, and I also have goats and poultry and I used to have horses, but I also have um, uh, fence problems. <laughs> <laughs> and I have I actually have about sixty acres, which okay. is which is lovely but um, I only have about 15 acres fenced and I was and my sheep just kept, rearranging onto my neighbor's property so i've I've dialed it back a lot while we build up some more fencing to make the farm a little bit more functional so i've just kept enough sheep to do some training with my dogs um and then i hope to grow into uh have a little bit more of a flock that will actually be kind of produce and start paying for itself rather than just being i mean it does through through the dog training but actually like through you know through the sheep themselves proper farming Um, yeah yeah, yeah. So I'd like to get uh go down that rabbit hole. Um uh, I got part way down it and had to back out. So uh so I yeah. focus on other things right now. And um I've been I've I got my first border collie um gosh, it's been like it's 34 years ago this um like this week actually. Um and uh I think that's right. No, 33. 1989. Okay. And, um, I've just fell in love with the breed and I've had them ever since I had just one dog for the first 14 years. And then I got, um, after he passed away, I got, I had a couple of others. I did a lot of rescue work and then I bought another one who ended up being actually related to my first dog. I didn't know that when I bought her, but I got, I really had always, when, when I bought Jake, he was working lines. Uh, which meant nothing to me when I bought him. He, it was, I just bought him from a local breeder who happens to be um, Amanda Milliken, who's one of the top working dog handlers and breeders and trainers in North America, um, who just happened to live down the road from me. So I didn't you know, really recognize what I had when I bought him. Um, and she, um, although she was, I think, just getting going into this too at the time. But anyway, he was working bread and I never got him on sheep. And so I promised myself that I would get my, I wouldn't with my next dog, we would work sheep. And so when I bought my next dog, who I got from a different breeder in a different area, because I was living somewhere else at the time, um, that was my goal with her. And it was really quite a joy when I got her pedigree and I discovered I didn't, I, at that point, I didn't pay attention to pedigrees or anything. She just was a local breeder, went out, bought a puppy. I knew her, her dogs work sheep. And she also offered to um, to train me. So it was just what I was looking for about 20 minutes from my house. So I bought Hannah and then turns out she was related to Jake, which was very special to me. So I had the opportunity to kind of through Hannah make that dream come true. Um, so yeah, so Hannah and I did, uh, we did herding and we did agility and we got to, um, she was an incredible dog. She was just one of those like perfect dogs. Um, We can talk more about this if you want, Um, but uh, I believe very strongly we get the dogs we need, not necessarily the dogs we want. And at that point, what I needed was a dog who could take me on this journey and allow me to learn the skills just to get and and build my confidence. Um, So she was incredible. She ended up being, um, you know, a master's level agility dog that we ended up qualifying for nationals and uh, an open trial. She took me all the way to open um in herding uh, and so she was very accomplished and she was just one of those rock solid dogs and didn't respond to my horrible trial nerves yeah. like staying up for like the night before puking waking myself crazy hyperventilating as i walk out to the to the trial field and she's just cool as a cucumber posing for cameras to point at her she was beautiful with big prick ears and, and a blue eye anyway so she was fantastic so she really got me hooked on the dog sports and um but i also found got ended up getting hung up with from because of all the mindset drama that i had and that was a really good thing because i ended up discovering um the importance of mindset and fast forward 15 16 years uh my main focus now is i'm i'm a mindset performance coach for dog sports um so that's uh that's kind of the close notes version of how i got to where i am now i also breed and so right <laughs> yep. now i live with i've got 14 border collies um which is a little more than i normally have but i've got a couple of older puppies that with covid ended up being difficult to place so i'm working on okay. that so my ideal number is probably about eight um and yep. uh Um, That's a good number. (laughs) It is a good number, isn't it? And you can hear a little... I'm afraid I've got two youngsters having like a big wrestling match in the next room. So if you hear some thumping and yeah, banging, that's why you muscle. have that,
0: and I have my 12-year-old that is trying to reach the treats that I removed just before we started recording. Um, and <laughs> they are the top of a wardrobe behind the computer. So if I keep looking that way, and he's trying to climb the wardrobe at 12. So this is our life, unfortunately. <laughs> yes.
1: Yes. You just just you just roll with it. There's always something going on.
0: <laughs> yes. Exactly. And I don't have cuts at the moment. Otherwise. That will complicate the things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: I'd let go of having cats about eight dogs. Oh, I have out.
0: two, but they're out of the room, <laughs> otherwise they're going to be playing oh, okay. around. <laughs> um okay, so um so yeah, so you've got fifteen collies plus other dogs, if I'm not wrong. Fourteen.
1: Fourteen border collies. Yeah, 14 border collies.
0: Uh,
1: two two Australian kelpies and then I have two livestock guardian dogs that live out with my sheep. Uh, Okay, great.
0: Yeah, because I suppose that there you have quite a few predators over there that we do. We do. Um,
1: I've got we've got around here um, mostly coyotes and bush wolves, which are a cross between coyotes and timber wolves. Occasionally, very occasionally, we'll get a timber wolf come through, but the bush wolves are really the the big problem. They're about 65 pounds. Um, my, My white dogs handle them very well uh, in terms of just, just their presence on the property, we just get bypassed. Um, yeah. and then we have bears and foxes and the very occasional mountain lion. So I really have to, if anyone around here who doesn't have a really good predator system loses a lot of livestock. So yeah. a predator defense system. So I have, I, but the white dogs are amazing for that. Just literally just having them on the property. Um, I've, I've, my neighbors have told me that they've stopped having problems, like they're just their presence. Yeah. Uh, really projects. So. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I, yeah I, I come from Italy. um, And we have similar problems, yeah. you know, I live in the UK, but I come from Italy, and we, we have problems now with wolves and bears sometimes, but mainly wolf, um, yeah. so the majority of people now have to have guardians. Um, yeah. Otherwise, yeah, it, it's, it's, they are moving to parts where they've not used to be wolves before, so parts mm-hmm. where you didn't well, use. Well, they, to...
1: they probably used to be many years ago, and then were eradicated. Yes. And now yeah. Exactly.
0: Back. Yeah. And right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that they, they are. There's something that you have to have if you if you have having livestock at the moment in Italy as well. In the UK, we're lucky; <laughs> we don't have any predators. Well, the only probably the only big problem in the UK are other dogs.
1: Mm, Yeah, I've heard, I've heard lots of stories. Um, Yes. But uh, yeah, so so here you're, yeah, I don't have, I don't really have problems with other dogs, but I have, uh, I have to mind the predators, but they're pretty good. Like I said, my guardian dogs work really well. And I really like the idea of trying to live in, in kind of in some kind of like, agreement with nature. So I don't want mind you know the wolves and everything. I think it's pretty amazing, actually. Uh, yeah, it would be amazing uh, just, to see just them. Stay for me. Out, just stay out of my fenced areas, and you can have the rest. Yeah, um, and so you know, we kind of find that kind of coexist coexistence in in a in a. I don't know. Yeah, that's what I'm working towards. I don't like the yeah. idea of having to eradicate or hunt or anything like that just build build good fences make good neighbors and that includes your against your the the predators
0: (laughs) yeah definitely definitely so um are your 15 border collie 14 sorry 14 border collies um all bred by you. Oh, I you... about the number, can you
1: tell? No, not <laughs> Only forty.
0: <laughs> uh, you know, they all say to me that after after six dogs you just stop counting. So
1: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and people ask me how many dogs I have to stop and think about it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you get um my partner's parents' dog here and he, he, so they become seven and you, you just don't notice at that point. You it's fine. No. 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 You get a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um so are, you, are they all bred? Um, are you all homebred or do you like to import also from other lines? And, and A bit of outdoors? both.
1: So actually right now, m- nearly all of them are my breeding. I have, uh, of the Border Collies, so the, the Kelpies I bought in, but the, um, I have two Border Collies, I'm trying to think. of everybody here, uh, two, two that are, I bought in. Um, one of them six years ago and I imported her from Ireland. And the mm-hmm. other one um, I just bought in from a friend who did a uh, lovely breeding and she lives out in Saskatchewan. So uh, those, and uh, she's only five months old right now.
0: OK, nice. And yeah, I have some, a question. Oh, yeah, I have a question for you. So why the kelpies? Why the kelpies and the collies? Do you use them in different kind of work in the farm? Well, you don't have still big, big farm, but you use in different works, or is just for the fun of having different herding breeds?
1: Uh, none of the above, well, okay. I, <laughs> so I, I, kind of fell into a kelp, my first Kelpie Holly kind of by accident. Um, literally, literally actually an accident. Okay, not, not a very nice one. Um, I was competing at a trial and my dog, um, hit a sinkhole and tripped and broke her neck and died, um, on the trial field. So, which was pretty, pretty traumatic. Yeah. Um, and it ended, it ended the trial um and I was you know facing the options I had of driving the six hours home with a dead dog in my car or burying her on their farm we chose I chose to bury her on the farm It it was a long weekend and I couldn't get to a vet so we we buried her on the farm and um and then they proceeded to pour a lot of um, hard liquor down my throat (laughs) to, um, you know, it was, yeah, we kind of had a wake for her afterwards. So I wasn't going anywhere. So I stayed, um, and, and they just happened to have, uh, rescued a litter of Kelpie puppies. Um, and I met and brought them in for me to cheer me up. So one of them, uh, Holly, um, was a complete reactive mess and she was alarm barking and turning herself inside out like I was a Martian when she first met me. And I just had this like lightning, you know how you just like lightning bolt, um, fell in love with this dog who was like freaking out. Like I was a Martian. Um, and I just threw some potato chips at her and she ate them and looked at me and then started barking again. And I threw her some more potato chips and about three rounds of that. And she was taking them out of my hand and, um, we made friends and then I left the next day and they, they're like, you've got an empty crate in your car. I'm like, yeah, no. Um, but I came back six weeks later for, um, a really wonderful, 10 uh, day clinic with Bobby Dial actually. Mm-hmm. And, uh, which was a real treat to get to work with, with him for that long. And, um, Holly was still there. They hadn't found a home for her and she was having all sorts of behavior problems. So I just, took her into my tent and kept her with me to uh for the 10 days and put her through the clinic and i just we i just fell in love with her and so i said i'll take her home and and um foster her and help her get on her you know develop get over that her fears and 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 then find her help find her a home and um that's exactly what i did but she never left no <laughs> and so i just it was just i just fell in love with this dog it was like instant um and so fast forward 10 years i was thinking about you know she's almost 12 now and I so about a year and a half ago I I was starting to think about getting another Kelpie just because I love her not because I have any particular use for a Kelpie or any more dogs um and I thought and then anyway I found out about Lily who was five and needed a home and so I said well maybe she could come here okay and uh so yeah so I don't have the Kelpies for any reason other than I'm a big softy and yeah. uh, and I don't know that I will have more, to be honest, mm-hmm. um, I adore the breed. But I, I at this point, I think I want to like um, probably just stick with Border Collies and we can yeah. talk more about that if you want. But... Yeah, yeah,
0: definitely. Sorry, for the one of you that you you can't see guys while you're listening, but this is the best, best podcast podcast because I have your puppies next yeah. to you and for the window, I can see them going I, around I, and trotting. I...
1: I can see them in my camera too, uh, running by in the reflection.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's the cutest. Yeah. Yeah. Have okay. A right now. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So we're going to talk about that. Um, okay. So, um, what do you do with your dogs? What is your main activity now, or yeah, you know, how how they how they fit into your life, training wise, and and work and everything. So,
1: um, the, my main focus is hurting at this point. for For quite a long time, I did hurting and agility, and um, we and basically, I coach people to go all in on one sport and to get yourself like if it, to the best you can in that sport before changing gears and going to other sports, because at every level. Um, how do I explain, how do I say this succinctly? So it's really fun to be a beginner and jump from sport to sport, which is totally fine. Um, but if you want to get really good at something, it's important to go all in on it. And you really can't go all in on more than one sport. I agree. Yeah. Yeah at one time. The other thing is, is when you get really good, because it, so you got, it's the skills not like with herding, especially, but this is true. I think for, well, I can't say all sports cause I haven't done all sports, but the sports that I'm familiar with, um, you gotta, you gotta train your dog and you have to train yourself. Those are two separate buckets of skills and, and training yourself is the it breaks down to understanding your sport, knowing the skills you need to train your dog your own mechanics and ability to perform them in your brain. And so and that's actually where I put all my focus now is on training the handler. Um, And then you go to competition. And learning how to compete is another set of skills. It is. Yes. Right. So you have all these steps that you need to go through if you want to become a really successful performance sports um, team with your dog and when you're jumping around from sport to sport you never really push your way because you hit these levels and they're really uncomfortable and they're hard and they're scary and they bring up all of your drama every time you go to the next level it's much easier to switch and put your focus on something else and I coach people on that so I decided I'm like I gotta live that too right I don't walk the walk so I want to go all in on the herding and get really good on how to train. So I, I've, I, I mean, I can handle a dog. I've, I've competed at open. I know how to run a dog. I know how to work a dog on a farm. Um, my competition skills are decent to a certain level. I've got a pretty good head on my shoulders now, but I haven't competed at really big trials. And so I know that's going to be another level. So I want to get there now. And I want to, and I have trained a couple of dogs from puppyhood through to open but I've had a lot of help and I'm now doing it, especially because my focus is on trying to maintain as positive reinforcement based approach as I can, which means I don't really have a mentor who can just say, do this. I don't have a formula to follow. I have to create it myself. So I'm really working on that too. Um, and that given that I also run a business and a farm is a hundred percent of my time. Yeah. So I have put agility on a shelf um and for other reasons i'm happy to talk about um arousal stuff as well uh we can go down that rabbit hole i have Mm -hmm. lots to say about that um but the main reason is i just have so much time and energy and and then i'm also like i said i run a business i run a farm and i have 14 dogs more than 14 dogs to keep happy and take care of and all the husbandry and um you know just feeding is like an hour out of my day every day um you know stuff like that so yeah so I'm kind of just a little bit limited in what I can do without um and do it well I want to do it really well right so I'm looking I'm looking to perform with excellence at this point
0: yeah I completely agree with you I've done a bit the same I started um my my Abigail was one when I started getting in so it was 16 years ago um, starting with ship training, but herding, but then she wasn't a herding dog. She was a show sport line, um, so it wasn't the best thing. So I tried obedience, stayed in obedience, and then I got Moss, um, which was my second dog, and. Uh, I wanted to do obedience with him and herding, but herding was really difficult. So then we tried agility and I did a bit of agility and you do this and that. And now I actually gave up everything to focus completely on detection training. <laughs> wow, so it, I think that's yeah. so
1: cool. I love that, I love that. So you do that yeah. with your border colleagues as well as your tollers. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so the toddlers are my partner's training dogs, are her dogs, so she trains them, and I train uh, my border collies, yes. So my six-year-old jock, he he loved agility and he loved obedience, but arousal was a big problem, and I just didn't like to see that in him, Um, he would hurt himself easily. Um, and I decided to give up for that reason. I didn't want to train him every day to keep his arousal down and he was getting himself into a situation that I didn't like, so we decided to stop agility. Um, obedience, well, it's, that's a big another chapter because um, in the, I moved to the UK and here the obedience is completely different and I don't really enjoy it. And recently, we decided to start detection training because my partner is training to become a, de- a wildlife detection handler. So I decided to join with my colleagues. But yeah, I agree with you that it's in a if, if you if you have you know if you have all your head into one thing, then everything is driven towards that which is not actually the detection is not something that you will pick you know naturally for the border collie because you see more especially in the uk other type of breeds um Mm -hmm. and i have a podcast that we talk about this um that has come out but um you know it's it's like it's concentrating i'm reading detection i'm listening detection i'm watching detection i'm training detection so everything is about that at the moment and that allow me to completely immerse myself into a mindset to train that specific thing so and I don't even do tricks training anymore with my dogs I don't even do because all my focus now is that and that allow me to actually improve much quicker and and yeah just just concentrate on that you don't have to split your brain in a lot of little things and then yeah
1: exactly exactly and I I, for for anybody listening um I just want to make it clear that I I don't think there's anything wrong with doing lots of different sports I think it's great. And often we we need to do all the different sports to find what really lights our fire. But when we when we were like, I want to do one, I remember like years ago, I was like, I'm like, I'm getting a new dog and I'm gonna do you know, I'm gonna do herding and agility and tricks and detection yeah. or, or you know, or like search and rescue and this and this and this, and people and, and people are just shaking their heads at me. And I'm like, I was like the ever run buddy, right? But the reality, which is which is fine, I think it's wonderful to explore all those things. But when you decide, hey, I want to get really good at something, then you gotta yeah. go all in. Yeah. And and the other thing is when you go all in and you get to that like master level the next sport you switch to if you if you choose to will go so much faster because like I was saying you have all those different skills, right? So you have your dog skills and then you have your human skills, you have your trial skills, you have your brain management skills. Well, if you get the manage, the brain management skills nailed down, that will work on all sports. You get your trial skills other than understanding the rules and everything, but just like how, how to compete that set of skills nailed down. You've got that for all sports. You nail down your, your understanding of training. You've got that for all sports. Yeah. So then when you switch sports, all you have to focus us on is knowing the skills you have to teach your dog and knowing what sports specific skills you need to teach yourself. So you go from having to train four buckets to full, down to one bucket, probably the half full, because your, your foundation stuff is going to be the same in probably across the board. And then the same for, so you got like two half buckets. So when you switch, so you see this all the time with people who, who do really well in a sport and then they switch to another sport and bam, they're at the top of their game. And like, six months well maybe maybe yeah. a year or two instead of like the ten, the 10 years it takes the rest of us right yeah or five years or whatever so um yeah so that so i think when we go all in and we develop all of those skills especially our own mental management um and really learn how to progress and work through all of that then if then if you want to switch gears then you you it's it's so much easier so yeah yeah absolutely yeah
0: Yeah, and that kind of consistency as well, which I lost a bit during lockdown. I lost that consistency of getting myself out there and train. Uh Uh, With the last two years, for a lot of people, went a bit out of the window because you didn't have to do it because, you know, you you had all the time in the world. At the same time, you you didn't have to do anything. So now actually getting back to say, I have to go out and train my dog at least once a day, if not twice a day, and get back into that mentality of saying, I have to practice. Although I don't have... And that's probably I don't have I have I have small steps ahead of me. I don't have a big picture yet. Um, but still it helps you saying, you know, I go out and train twice a day and I have to do it. I have to fit into my day. It doesn't matter what how busy the day is. <laughs> Get out yeah, and train. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So um so I'd like to talk about your dog. So what kind of dogs you like? You breed and you train um, for herding. By the way, I forgot to mention that, yeah, I used to do herding as well. And I actually gave up on herding in March, deciding to concentrate on detection. Um, mm-hmm. So I do understand herding and I've done it with all my dogs. Moss was my first, actually. Abigail was my first, then Moss, then Jock. That's probably the one that is had more training. Um, Tay did a tiny bit, my two-year-old. Uh, but again, I decided to give up because I didn't have very you know I didn't have access to sheep that easy and I just wanted to concentrate on one thing at least for a good long time um but you do herding so I suppose that I'd like to to hear about your dogs what lines they are if you want to chat about their lines because I'm very much into geeking and nerding about pedigrees. <laughs> excellent, excellent. <laughs> And what kind of dogs you like, what kind of dogs you like to breed and you know what you have at the moment in your in your project, because I suppose when you have been breeding for a long time, there is a project behind there that is something that you've been 100% building. And it's, it's interesting, you said you've
1: been you said commented breeding a long time. I'm like, I haven't been breeding a long time. I'm like, okay, oh, actually, it's been 10 years. So yeah. I guess that means maybe I'm not a, a, a newbie anymore. That's interesting. Um it's the first time that I just kind of like clicked in because I, I'm like, <laughs> oh, wait a second. It's been, I've been breeding for 10 years, yeah. Um so yes, yeah, so I absolutely have a project um that I'm working on. And and it, so one of the big components of my um of my breeding program is uh taking a natural rearing approach to raising border collies. And So one of the things, so what I, what I'm aiming for in my breeding program is I'm looking for, um, health and working function, um, as my, and now one of the, one of the, so I guess I can say my niche, right? Because I don't have the big hill farm to really put my dogs through their paces, Um, I don't have the like top level skills to train, train and test my dogs to like really high levels, which I think is actually really important to do. Um, But I can't do that. I have 60 acres of flat. Most of it's bush. I've got right now I have 15 sheep. Like I just can't, I, I watch, I watch the videos and, you know, I follow some really amazing handlers and trainers. And I'm like, I would like to do that. Um, I'm hoping to go and do an immersion, uh, in the spring in the UK where I would come and live, um, for a week or two oh, yeah. and, and train with, with, you know, some, some really top handlers and use their dogs. There are a couple of people who do that, which I think is going to, a few people who do that now. So I think that's going to be, that's, that's in the work. So I want to, I want to really keep building my skills. Um, so I recognize that I don't have that capacity to test my dogs to that level that I ideally would like to. Um, however, I also don't sell to people who are looking for that kind of dog. Um, so I, I, I have good functional working dogs who will be your partner and um, they can do sports and they're very, very useful on, a, on, a, on an Ontario farm, which is, you know, anywhere from 10 to 100 acres and pretty flat. <laughs> and most people will have, you know, a handful of sheep. And they don't need that super tough hill dog um, that can work a mile away on whistles only, you know, in the fog on the side of a mountain. Um, now that said, I try to bring in genetics that are capable of doing that. Um, so I so I breed out to. I've been uh, last couple litters have been internal breedings, but generally I will look for a male. A stud dog who has that, like, really wonderful capacity and breed that into my line. So I try to maintain that as much as I can, but I simply can't test my bitches to that level. Um, So, but I, what I, so I work on, um, as I said, health through natural rearing. So my dogs now, like these little puppies you saw running by, they are third generation on both sides um, of my own, like, in house breeding. And so natural rearing comprises uh, raw feeding and taking a holistic approach to all healthcare, um, minimizing all drugs and chemicals, um, minimizing vaccines, minimizing like any kind of intervention and trying to use as much. So I use holistic medicine as my frontline approach, as opposed to as the, when all else fails, you go to that, which is what I used to do. Um, and I got into holistic medicine when I had my very first dog's health completely failed. And we did all the things, I did all the things. Uh, I spent $14,000 um, and this was, you know, 20 years ago, um, trying to save him. And, you know, today that would be probably like, I don't know, 30 or $40,000 for the stuff that I did with him. And I, um, nothing, nothing worked. And then my vet finally recommended that I go to a Chinese medicine herbalist and acupuncturist and see if she could help because they were they're like there's nothing more we can do and she turned him around when i had been advised to euthanize and we had another year together of good quality life um and which which meant everything to me back when i had just one dog and he was the love of my life so that put me on that path and I've been exploring it ever since. And I have more, I integrate that into my raising. Now we, you know, we've talked about how border collies, or we will talk more about how border collies are very sensitive and they are very sensitive to their environment. And they're also very sensitive to what goes into their bodies. So I've been trying to um, build up health through um, eliminating things that could interfere with health as much as I possibly can. And, and then, going from there. So that's that's a big cornerstone of my breeding program is taking that natural rearing approach, crossing that with the working lines that I'm work, looking to really build as well. So um, yeah, I know there are people in the sport world who are doing that, but I don't know a lot of people in the working world. I'm sure there are others out there doing that, but they don't have websites, I haven't found them yet. Um, yeah. So if anybody's listening and that's what they're doing, please reach out because I'm always looking to connect with other people who, who kind of are taking this approach. Um, but yeah, and then, and then, in terms of the types of dogs that I work with, um, I mean, I have the dogs that I have that I really love, and so I'm working with what I've got. And one of the things i there are different approaches to breeding. Some people will just keep bringing in dogs. Um, they're like, okay, I want these genetics, and I want these genetics. And I want oh, that dogs, so that line's doing really well, and I want to bring that. So there's that approach. and then i'm I'm actually trying to build a line, and I'm specifically yeah. trying to build a bitch line. Uh, So that suits me really well, and the work that I do, my style, and my and my and my farm, um, and and just my personality. So right now, the mother of these little pups out there is probably the closest thing that I have to exactly what I'm looking for. The only thing is she lacks a really good outrun, and um, and uh, she's she's just a great partner. Uh, I love her. She I would call her a very uncomplicated dog. She's just she just she's always there for me um she's not overly sensitive but I love sensitive dogs so I don't mean that in a like that's not actually necessarily a plus or a minus but she she just isn't her mother was but she Raven's very like like for instance um uh you know I'll I'll go out and I'll tell her to do something and she'll look at me and she'll be like I don't think that's a good idea <laughs>
0: yeah I <Right>? know the type
1: <laughs> yeah And, and it's, it's not even it's, but it's, it's in a very like partnership kind of way. It's not like she's like giving me the finger. She just, she'll look at me and it's like, if she could speak, she'd be like, don't think that's a good idea. This is what I suggest instead.
0: And if I say, no, I
1: want you to do this. She'll be like, okay. Right. But, but she, she, she's very, um, I don't know how to, how to put it into words, but I just, I just love working with her. I have more talented dogs, but she's the one that I love working with the most. Yeah. So I bred her to a couple of males that have beautiful outruns and have that like the working level um so I'm trying to like keep what I love in Raven and then just add in the pieces that she's missing. Yeah. And so I have um I I, I this is only her second breeding, her first breeding um it, what, and and she she's my breeding. I bred cuz I owned, I had her mother. Um so and her mother had was um an incredibly talented dog but i didn't i didn't work well with her we butted heads a lot <laughs> so i with her i found a male that i felt kind of balanced that out and i found a male that just had that wonderful partnership um yeah and and, and i could just tell like watching him work with his human and i mean he was very talented he's a killie Bray uh laddie son mm-hmm. and just um, just lovely lovely he's a wonderful dog so and really nice temperament and good structure I'm very I'm also a bit of a um, bit picky about structure too and yeah. so I'm, I'm I'm trying to like I I did this I I overlooked structure a couple of times for dogs that had the other components that I really liked and then uh, I'll because like Raven's mother had you know she would have cleaned up it any confirmation show like she, she's just textbook gorgeous perfect 100 working bread just happened to come out of the box with this perfect amazing structure um and so i kind of dropped that criteria and then um ended up with some puppies that uh i wasn't as happy with their structure the more i learn about structure the more i think it's actually really quite important uh, not to the extreme of making that the top priority and that's, um, I think we get into trouble. We get into trouble whenever we breed for any particular singular trait, right? So you're always looking for that balance. So I want to see nice structure. I'm more important than structure. I want I, I, is for me is actually movement. I want to see really good movement, and and then health and temperament, and and then of course working uh, ability is the top. So they've got to have really good working ability. So I, I start there. Yeah. And I pick, so I, when I'm picking a sire, I want to see that they have really all the talent. Yeah. And then I'll look for the talent with the, with the nice movement, really nice, you know, which generally is attached to good structure. And then I get to know the dog. So I, and usually I'll, I'll pick that from the trial field, right. I'll watch dogs work. I'll be like, oh, I really like how that dog works. I love their pace. I love their thoughtfulness. I love how biddable they are. And you can really tell when you watch on yeah. a trial field, like how hard is the, is the handler at the post standing on the brakes the whole time and like having to like rein their their dog in or is or is the dog really working in partnership and the, you know you, you can really see that when you when you watch a lot of this so i i'll watch for that i'm like i really like how that dog works with their human i really yeah. like how that dog handles their sheep really love how that dog moves okay let's meet them let's look at their pedigree let's look at their relatives um and then and then i go from there and then I'll look at, look at how it does, does that, what are the, then, I, then I want to know what are the weaknesses? What are the challenges? What are the health problems? How does that match with my, with my
0: bitch? Yeah. And is it easy to find health tested working dogs? Hey, Border Collie Geek, do you know around a membership? It's called the Collie Club, the online academy. And from only 31.50 pound per month, you get access to me, your coach, on a Facebook group. You get also access to a hub with 16 plus module with new material coming out regularly. More than 136 videos, last time I counted. Nine webinars plus, as being part of the Collie Club, you get invited for free to all my webinars. One Zoom call every week, to discuss your question, video feedback of your training and your dog behaviour and a supportive community of Bore Collie owners like you. I can't wait to meet you in the classroom and help you like I helped many other Collie owners around the world. To learn more and sign up, look in the show notes for the link.
1: It's becoming more popular. Um, What I'm noticing is a lot of the people are starting to do the genetic testing for um, within the working world because now that they have the early onset deafness. So a lot lot of people were doing the collie eye anomaly test for a long time. So the things that impact working ability, people are testing for. Um, So people were testing for collie eye. I think that was actually becoming mandatory if you wanted to be able to, you know, you had to prove that your dog had been tested and was clear if you were to get any kind of um I don't know if they do that now. I don't think they do, but I remember what Hannah and I did really well and we um we we won the the novice championship um when we in our in our actually a little little brag in our first year of competing um we won the provincial novice championship um and she had to have her eyes certified to mm. hold that title um so so there's that awareness in the working world and now that wisdoms come out with the, with the early onset deafness test um because going blind and going deaf are pretty much game change uh, you know uh, yeah um, uh, they, that ends that ends their career careers yeah, clear career stoppers for a working border collie so those are the things people worry about they don't tend to worry about hips um, they don't tend to worry about, um, other health problems that I don't think you really can test much for anyway, like epilepsy, like there's no test for that. So really yeah. those are the issues, right? There's eyes, ears, seizures, and hips are, yeah. and, and now more and more we're seeing, um, the o- uh, OCD, in the OCD. Shoulders, but yeah. yeah. Um, but that I think we can't test for that and nobody knows if it's genetic or not. There's that's yeah. hotly debated. Um, and there's surgery for that. So it's also not, it's not career ending. Um, it's expensive. It's like $5,000, but you can get it mm-hmm. done on your young dog and it will have a long career. Um, so, so people are doing the career ending testing more and more now. Um, yes. I have not required the test. I, I, I've done it on my own. On my, you know, I'll get my bitch all tested. Unless there's something I'm really worried about. I'll, I won't require it of the mail. I have paid for testing in a mail that I wanted um if if, you know like when i had a bitch who was a carrier or something i was like okay i'll pay for the genetic testing before i breed to this dog but i'm seeing more of it happening and i noticed on the um like the the uk stud dog
0: yeah um, the famous ones now are yes they're all starting to yeah
1: yeah yeah
0: because they they are used everywhere and in in a lot of countries it's required if they need to be registered yeah so they want
1: to they want the stud feed they need to get that done and it's really not a big deal to get it done unless your dog fails and then it's (laughs) then that's too bad but yeah yeah Yeah. so it's more more common for sure
0: so it's it's changing
1: i've in in the 10 years it's i've noticed a big change
0: yeah i think i think he has changed a lot in the uk as well But uh, you know it's it's hard because sometimes that means that there's that kind of small number of dogs that get used over and over again because they're famous and tested, and then there are a lot of Mm. other good dogs that are not used because they have they don't have a full test, and especially now with you know with this um, um, early onset deafness, a lot of breeders look for clear dogs because they have a carrier carrier bitch, so a lot of dogs are not tested, so they're not picked for breeding. And that right. can have, I think, a lot of bad, inf- in the, it's, I... an, it's a narrow bad road for the breed, because if we start reducing the need, the, the use of dogs because they're not all tested, then yes. there's going to be very quickly a very high coefficient of inbreeding somewhere. I agree. And I, I think this is a really important
1: conversation that more people need to be having so I love that you brought it up because, and especially about the early onset deafness test, because that is, um, and, and collii. um, so, so cause I've had, I've had both happen because I've had, I had, um, I had a, an accidental breeding that I then I, I tested and came up that, um, one of the puppies was, a, was, a, affected for collie eye. And I thought, oh no, that's terrible. You know, end of the world, everybody, right? So I started doing research into it and I discovered that, um, first of all, you can take them to an ophthalmologist before eight weeks of age and they can determine whether the puppy will ever be affected. So I did, and he won't be, he's going to be fine. Um, And the other thing is, is apparently, now I don't know, have the statistics, I don't have the statistics for border collies. They are not as affected by this, Um, disorder as rough collies, but in a rough collie an affected dog when I say it um, has only 4% chance of actually becoming symptomatic. So in border collies it's even less because it's not right. So yes we see dogs that do develop the condition but it's actually there's actually a very small percent of chance that they will and yet now that we have the test those, cro- those do- crosses never happen, right? Happen. Yeah. And, and then I also had, um, I've had before the early onset deafness tests were available um, a litter that then I discovered that they're, when I, uh, you know, after the fact um, that the parents were both of this one cross were both carriers. Um, now the puppies seem to be fine, but, um, and they're, they're adults now. Um, we haven't tested them because it's a done deal. Um, but they were, they were, they were, The parents were tested before the test. The, these puppies are phenomenal. One of them is doing incredibly well in in competition. Really, really great, great structure, great temperaments. They wouldn't exist. I would not have done that cross if I'd had that information. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so I'm glad I didn't have that information at the time because yeah. they're fantastic dogs. So it makes me think, wow, like um, how many amazing dogs are never born because of the, the you know, and, and we don't know yeah. what the early onset deafness test, whether or not they don't even know if it actually predicts.
0: No. Right? And that's if, a big, yeah, there's a big discussion about it all over Facebook. I don't know if you follow any, um, but yeah. I, yeah.
1: a little bit, I generally avoid
0: <laughs> Most of these yeah. conversations, because
1: I got to keep my head on straight, not not second guess myself too, you know, oh, all day long. Which was which happens when you start getting reading, following all the arguments. But yeah, yeah, I I did I have done a little bit of research into it, and I'm like, oh, this they're they're testing for these markers, and the markers are not necessarily a clear indicator or predictor of deafness. They're just a they're, there's a correlation, but there's no scientific data to suggest a cause a causal relationship. Um, so how many dogs are not, how many, like you said, the gene pool is getting smaller and smaller and yeah. smaller with these tests. And so on the one hand, yes, some of the, we can, we can maybe prune out some of these problems, which is fantastic. And I know it's heartbreaking when people get them on the other hand, what are we doing to the breed yeah. in general? And that's, yes. that's a, you know, that's not an easy answer to come up with.
0: It's actually quite good when I was listening to you talking about, you know, the fact the type of dog you like to handle, you like a dog that is, you know, biddable, and will listen to you that will help you but also that will, you will have some probably independence and initiative like you were talking about Raven, if I'm not wrong. And but at the same time is a dog that is biddable. So after they look at you and they say, Are you really sure? Then you ask again, and they'll they'll say, Okay, I'll do it. Yeah. And you know, and this is such an important thing. Because, you know, Again, you are breeding dogs for people that want a dog, an easy dog, a dog that they can enjoy. They don't have to fight against all that's, the time. Exactly. And that's, that is actually
1: very much um,
0: part my, part
1: of my thinking process because I'm like, who comes to me? Sport people, um, pet people. And I do have, I have put a couple of my dogs. people are not coming to me for, for high level trial dogs. They're just not in herding uh, agility. Yes, but not in herding. Um, but and they're not coming to me for you know their really big ranch where their dogs are going to be working ten hours a day and have, need all that super grit and power. Um, I do I do have a couple of dogs in um, you know well I do have one actually on a big uh, one puppy on a big working farm, um, but generally speaking, it's situations like what I've got here. And if I am going to sell to a farmer, they don't generally have the training skills to deal to deal with. A really hard-headed, really intense, really pushy dog. Um, that kind of a dog is just going to be a headache for them. So a dog like Raven, who maybe isn't, you know, she's she's pretty, she's, you know, she's she's a talented bitch. I don't I don't want to talk her down in any way. Um, but you know, when she was young, we'd go out to the field and if she made it, you know, like when the sheep, when things got tough, instead of getting going into arousal. I think this is a big part of it, right? Cause I have my other line, which, which tends to go into arousal. So when things get difficult, their, their brains blow out their ears and they just go into, into chase mode and, and yeah. dive and grip uh, and chase and all yeah, of that. The one that is um, sleeping
0: next to me was the same.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, that, you know, and I, I love my dogs that are like that too, but Raven, when things got difficult would, would lie down. And so I could I could work with her without any training on her, so at seven months of age, I'd be like, "Hey, Rave, want to come help me do something?" She's like, "Sure, I'm all in. What do you want?" And that that's basically always her answer. "I'm all in. What do you want? I'm all in. What do you want?" She that's her standard answer to anything I ask. Um, and so from seven months of age, because because I had a, an easy stop on her, I could take her out. And if the sheep if it got hard difficult, she'd just lie down. And then I'd be like, "Okay, let's do this." She'd be like, "Okay." I'll walk, I'd walk up to her and I'd help her. And so that's a dog that a novice can handle really well. And, and she's a good enough dog that she could do all the work on my farm. um, And she can um, take you to probably a pretty good intermediate level. And that's who I sell to. Um, So I really love that about her. Now I would love to have that, but a dog who could take me a little bit further, because now I'm you know, looking, I have my sights set at the next level of competing and so on. Um, So I'm trying to breed her, breed that into her, but I really love that. So when I get a litter out of her, I I spend a lot of time playing with the puppies and like, who's the most like Raven in these respects. And then let's hope that you got the, the upfront gene too. (laughs) But yeah, I love that, that just like, I'm all in, what do you want? And And that's, that's makes up for so much in, in terms of like, if she's lacking it anywhere else, we can just, we'll just figure that out.
0: So in your experience, did you find that what you see, um, when you're training with sheep does then transfer into sport or pet life?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I find a dog who does, does stock work. Um, first of all, in terms of pet life, they're, it's like it switches a flip, uh, flips a switch in them. You've probably seen that in your dogs, where suddenly they just kind of feel more at home in their skin, in the world, anywhere you go, um, and they're just. It just brings, it creates a level of confidence and ease in the dog, um, like nothing else that I've done with a dog can create. They just you know, you can take a dog who like even Holly, my Kelpie, I said, she was super reactive and fearful about everything. Um, I did do a lot of just let her run hard in big fields and get a lot of that, like that stuff out of her nervous system, because she'd spent the first year of her life in a horse stall and total in solitary confinement. So she really was pretty much she had a lot going on that I had to, to kind of rehab. Um, but I also put her on stock and she just came into her own And just became so you know when I first brought her home she was afraid of like signposts and garbage bags and bicycles and cars and like I couldn't walk her down the block um and it's not all from the stock work but I think that really helped a lot yeah Uh, but but the more you train them the more they just become comfortable in their skin and then that just translates to it translates to um in 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 terms of pet companionship a dog who is just so much easier and more relaxed wherever you take them they're also incredible become incredibly obedient which makes it really easy to take them off leash and then you can take them hiking and do more stuff with them which then leads to them being more calm and confident right so there's this like positive spiral upwards and then yeah. if you take that into other sports you have a dog that you've already got a really strong partnership with that's very feels very confident and comfortable and it's in their skin and who listens really well and who also and this is maybe I don't know one of the most if not the most important side benefit they have um a really solid optimal arousal as their default so they manage their arousal really really well um and so which is and i might get in trouble for saying this kind of the opposite that happens in, in the agility world a lot of the time because yeah of how, i do agree
0: yeah how
1: most people train agility and that was something that i didn't realize because i used to do both sports and and then i I started when i started really going on on the herding i I had again people who come to me are generally sport people um and so i was having people coming with their really successful agility dogs and the dogs were totally out of control on sheep and i um one of the things that i noticed i had i was working i was working somebody else's dog and she was with me. So I had her like linked to my arm and we were kind of like working her dog out in the field. And it was actually, you know, a dog doing working bread dog. Um, but she did a lot of sports with this dog. And then the dog got to the, um, was running around being a little, you know, doing the circling and all that sort of stuff. And then came to balance and kind of stopped at balance and, um, and just held it. It was beautiful. She just was beautiful. And I was like, you know, that was really good. And her owner immediately went Yes. And the dog exploded in and started ripping <laughs> yeah. the sheep. Right. Yeah. And it's because she, she was used to, she would, her re, the reinforcement would be to like scream and yell and, and, you know, go into that super high pitched voice and pull out of a tug toy and play tug. So re so when the dog does thing right, then they, then it, they their brains would explode into this high arousal. Um, and, and so the dog, the dogs were doing, doing that on sheep. So I had to be really, really cognizant of that to like not do anything that would make. So you know, if I'm if I'm I want to tell the dog they're doing a good job, I have to be very mindful to not trigger yeah. that habit. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that's what got me re- starting to really study how we're building how arousal is a habit and how much it's built into agility training um, yeah. as a way to get speed. And and we don't actually need to do that because speed comes from confidence and clarity. It doesn't come from arousal. It can can come from arousal, which is the fast route, right? You can get speed like that with arousal, but then you get all the fallout that comes with it. You get all the off courses and you get all the knock bars and you get all the, you you know, the biting and the spinning and the barking and the, you know going after the judge and leaving the ring to chase another dog and all of that arousal stuff um, is the fallout of using arousal to get speed and it becomes a habit and becomes the default. And then the dog starts to have a nervous system that gets set in this high level of arousal. And then we have all of this fallout um in in the everyday life as well. Um, so it's kind of the opposite of what happens
0: when you do herding.
1: Yeah. Um, where- I agree
0: with you completely on this. Yeah. I've seen it in my dogs.
1: Yeah, I've seen Yeah, that me too. I, I I went through that. So I'm I'm speaking from experience. And yeah. you know, my nine-year-old still, I, you know, even though I stopped doing this probably five years ago with her, I still have to be really mindful of how easily she can be triggered into arousal. Um, because it that's just how I raised her. And um and it's a problem. And I and I I just want to, you know, make make it clear that I'm I'm not trying to bash agility. Um, I don't think it's inherent in the sport. I think it's it's how it's trained and it can yeah. be trained differently and people can Definitely. get the same results without using all the arousal it may take a little longer and it may take a little more thinking um but yeah I think I think we yeah. can, I think agility that's one of my projects that's what I why I put agility on the shelf for a while because I was like that, if I go back to it I'm going to go down the rabbit hole of just like I'm trying to figure out how to train herding fundamentally from a positive reinforcement based approach which I'm happy to talk about there too, because um, I also still bring in a lot of traditional stuff. Um, I've
0: gone back and forth on that. We could do another episode just on that because we've yeah, not we talked could. about yeah, we've not yeah. talked about herding on the on the podcast much. I have a couple of people that will come on the podcast to talk about it, local people. that I'm going to talk with, but yeah, we can do an yeah. episode on that. That would be interesting.
1: Yeah, I'd be I'd love to because um, that that
0: requires its own episode, I think. <laughs>
1: I would agree yeah it's not something i can succinctly wrap up in, yeah. in like five minutes um but if i when i go back to agility if i go back to agility my project will be to, to figure out how to train it without arousal and, and there are people out there who are doing that already and I'm yeah i just figured out so i don't have to <laughs> that's my goal i'm like please keep going that's awesome love your work well, i'm right i'm all there um because it's not something i actually really want to um to figure out, but if I go back to agility, I'm going to have to figure out how to do that. Um, and I, I've, I've made some inroads and I have my my approach, but I haven't taken it all the way yet, so yeah.
0: Yeah, I found with Jock, for example, um, I think, Jock on, on sheep is a dog that is easily, you, you can take him to a field of sheep tomorrow, not sheep for ages, and he will still listen and do what I ask him to do. Not precise, not for competition, but if I need to move sheep from one field to the other and drive them up to a gate, he will do it for me. But um, he has the issue with arousal. And when he was younger, I had to control a lot of my voice because as soon as my voice goes a bit higher, then um, he goes into agility mode. And that means wow. faster and faster and faster and faster because yeah. when i was running agility even though i didn't train it shouting at him, but you know, you, I'm always behind him, I have to send him away from me and keep telling him to keep going and teaching running contacts. There's a lot of always keep going, keep going, run, 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 and, you know, and and go, go, go and tunnel, 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 and all that. And um, as soon as my voice went a bit like rushed, then he will start rushing on sheep as well. Mm -hmm. And I can see how that if I ever, a six now, if I ever go back training with sheep with him, if I'm lucky to get some land and some sheep at some point soon in life, um, because he's getting a bit older now, he's got all the basics, but I would have to go back to really retrain possibly all my cues and all my everything to just try and keep keeping yeah. calm.
1: Because he yeah.
0: does get into arousal that way and talking with the trainer that is going to be actually a guest on my podcast, an amazing trainer we have in the UK. Um, talking to him as well, you know, he does think he's coming from that part yeah. of his life. Um, because, yeah, yeah.
1: And you, and you can't have that arousal and detection work either, right?
0: No, you can't. And that's another problem with Jock. As soon as I ask him to do search and I put too much emphasis into it, he goes into agility, obedience mode, and his arousal goes up. So, yeah. again, I had to restructure the whole scent work detection training mm-hmm. i now softly tell him release him from a platform and say okay <laughs> and that's it <laughs> right i can't move yeah. i can't breathe and that's the only way I focus on the job as soon as i put my energy into it he's back on me mm-hmm. waiting for me to do something very exciting so right. yes i mean that. that's probably how he is he's prone to have that kind of excitement. I know the lines and they yeah. are that type of dog, easy to train because they just want to do, 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 do. Um, but then when are wanted...
1: lines?
0: Can I ask? So he's a trust your art. So he's got um, Dewey Tweed behind and he's got um, the old trust your art lines, which are amazing for sport. They are, those lines are everywhere in the sport, both agility okay. and obedience in Europe. Yeah. Um, so he's got Astra Pepper behind him. Astragost. ghost and then he has is that is borderless gas which is national and international uh supreme champion um so he's got all the top lines and you know but the cross sometimes
1: sport lines um, they're,
0: all they're, all, they're all working they're all they're all working um but yeah there is a tiny bit of sport lines but his his working lines have been doing amazingly um in um in the sport industry, in, in agility and obedience both. And um, so he, sometimes I look at him and I think he's a bit wasted with me because he would have been at the top of the world with a proper handler that wanted to pursue, you know, obedience or agility, either of the two. He would have been a great dog. I just don't have it in me. I'm not a competitive person. And um, I just he, I just like a quieter path. life.
1: He had yeah. a different path. He didn't want that life or he would have
0: found that person, right? <laughs> I keep promising him I'm going to get him a farm. So we're working for it now. And I think that, you know, if he could do that every day, it would be amazing. Uh, he just loves to help. Um, he's yeah. that kind of dog that looks at you and say, come on, tell me what to do and I'll do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's and, what Ravens you know, like too.
1: I love that. Love that for
0: sure. Yeah. And, you know, as soon as I know that if I can give him a consistency, it will be an amazing dog with herding. Um, I just can't do herding once every two weeks and then go back to agility that doesn't that's not something that works for him um and it might be that with the detection that has calmed him down a bit in the type of really working relationship we have I've you know it might that benefit our herding as well I don't know I've not tried it yet we are we are still oh, on, the break, on a break That'll be interesting. yeah 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 um okay so um We had talked quite a lot. I'm sure that, you know, I'd love to have another episode at some point and and discuss more of the herding part, because that's my big passion. And that's why I moved to the UK, but I decided now to give it up. (laughs) (laughs) It'll always
1: be there, right? Like it's it's, I did I did herding. Actually, it's kind of funny because people warn me. They're like, when you get your own farm, you train less. Than when you don't have your own farm. And I was like, that's not true. I'll train more. And no, it's actually it is true. <laughs> or it was true for me, I should say. Um, because you know, the the work involved when I was just driving to somebody else's farm, I was going there to work my dog. Whereas now I'm like, yeah. like this morning, I'm like, oh, I've got I've got 45 minutes. Um, I gotta go fix a fence that fell down and my goats are all running <laughs> yeah. around, you know, in the in the so I you know, instead of training my dog, I was fixing fences. So um yeah. So yeah, so but having I got Hannah didn't have her own farm until she was 10. And she still was very, very happy to live her retirement years, helping me out on the farm. So yeah,
0: you know. yeah, that's the other day. Well, I think I, I worked in farms as well. And I used a tiny bit my dogs as well. Moss helped me a bit and Jock did a couple of things too. And that's what you know, i always like about the border collies. Yeah, the trials are amazing. And I, I, I do enjoy watching trials. But Actually, you know, having border collies around the farm and being there and having them to help is, I think, it's the essence of the border collies at the end of the day.
1: I agree. It's um, the partnership and the work um, that I love as well. And for me, when I say I have, I want to trial at higher levels, it's because I want to push my skills um, and and learn more. Not because I, and, you know, and competing is great and fun, and you know, winning is awesome when it happens. Um, there's lots to be said about that, but for me, trialing is about, it gives me something. It gives me reason to get out there and work hard because I can already do what everything I need to do with my dogs. So then I, I kind of need that to like push me to, I'm like, I got a trial, which means like, you know, coming up, I want, I want to, you know, I want to polish the skill and I want to tweak that. And then I want to test in another environment how my training is doing and then I'll learn oh okay now yeah. I now I know it to go back and, and train so I I like to use trials mostly to test my training and to give me motivation to get out there and and push myself um as opposed to them being in and in, in and of themselves for me um, like and like I said there are lots of reasons to trial that's just why I want to um and my tr- my real passion is the work on the farm. Um, but, but I, but the trial, but in in my little farm, there isn't a lot of work that needs to be done. So if I have a trial, I'm like, okay, then I start getting creative. I'm like, okay, well, I will have to, let me, let me go out and make some work. Let me go out and figure out some new things to do with my dogs. Right. It just gives me that little lights, that little fire under my backside so that I, um, so I get out there and push myself. Uh, and so that's why I still want to keep working on my trial skills. Um, and someday i w I'm hoping to get, um, maybe a bigger working farm. I have a little dream, but we'll mm-hmm. see. I, I have a couple of dreams. I'm not sure if that one is where, which, where I'll go. We'll see one step. At yeah. A time. I
0: think we have the same dream. We'll talk about it when we finish recording. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Sounds good. laughs> okay. So, um, just to wrap up the, the, this, I know that you have to, well, you, you train online. So I would like to just talk a bit about what, you know, what training you do online. Cause I think you have amazing course coming up and that you teach online and i'm definitely going to sign up because yeah i really like what you talk about so i want to oh, i want to learn you. more um you. so yeah, yeah you, you teach two courses i think um well you teach more than two you want to just um, yeah, so know, you, a bit. I, yeah so i can tell you what i yeah, so
1: i basically have um three things going uh i am i i teach at uh, the fenzy dog sport academy so for anybody listening that's a, an easy way to find me um, I'm teaching my herding flat work class right now. It wraps up at the end of, September, uh, in two weeks. We're just wrapping that up. Um, and then in October, I'm teaching my beyond the click class, which is a nerdy, geeky, um, kind of, uh, it's a course about training. Uh, and as I said, my, my focus, big focus is the handler end of the leash. So I, um, I also have, uh, an independent program that I'm teaching on my own platform that, I'm just building out. It's super brand new. Um, I've got a few beta testers in it and I'm about to open the doors to invite other people to join me at the, while it's still being built out and it's, mm. um, it's called uh dog sport performance mastery, the handler end of the leash. And it's all about, um, a lot of things we talked about mindset, uh, understanding training theory, learning behavior theory. Um, and then all the geeky stuff about training. So it's very, there's a, it's, it's gonna be super fun. I'm really, I'm really excited about it, and it's gonna be. It's a big program. Like it's something that'll take like when it's done, it'll be a ten month training program. It's oh wow! Of course. Um, so right now I'm opening up. So anybody wants to get in at the like the grassroots level while I'm building it at a really good price. That's it's, it's gonna be available soon. So that's a big thing. And then I have a partner. Um, I have a a, 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 mind, a coaching membership that I run that's ongoing monthly. Um, and that will be, so P, the, the, the first course is self-study. And then if people want support, then they can join the um, uh, my, my coaching program. So we meet four times a month on Zoom and I coach live and we have a, um, a community, a digital community, not on Facebook. Uh, and, um, and that is primarily around mindset. And it's all about helping people achieve their, their training and competition goals. Um, and I do help with some training, but most of it is helping the what goes on between our ears that gets in the way of us achieving our goals. Um, yeah. And I, I'm super proud of that program. I've been running it for a couple of years now. And then at FDSA in the spring, I'll have two more courses I have. And these are the ones you wanted me to talk about because you didn't know about the other ones, I think. Just um, because I'm not competition
0: have, material anymore. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Um, but, but it, yeah, it's, it's uh, and I'm, I'm not really that focused. Most of the people I work with are people like you who are just really passionate trainers, um, yeah. not necessarily high level competitors, but really passionate trainers who are really trying to push and grow and, and, and achieve their goals, whether they're a competition or like you, you know, getting your detection work really nailed down and stuff. And then just finding that you're getting, you know, kind of hung up in your head and, or, or in your skills and not making the progress you want. Um, And so on that respect, the other two courses I have, so that's all, that's all that I do. I help people get over their challenges when they work towards their goals, but optimal arousal is the course for people who are struggling with dogs that go into over arousal and that's becoming a real problem in their training, or they want to avoid that becoming a problem in their training. Yeah. Um, And, and the other course is success with sensitive dogs. And interestingly, they're actually two sides of the same coin because uh typically we think of sensitive dogs as um those dogs who like shut down and quit and are slow and sticky um and the 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 optimal arousal course gets people who have dogs that get like really worked up and and go like the other but they're they're actually dogs that are slow and sticky and shut down and quit are actually in over arousal Um, they just are in, so when we, when we go into over arousal, we go into, we move out of, um, rest and digest, learn and heal mode or the parasympathetic state. And we go into the sympathetic state, which is necessary. We need to have arousal. But when you go into over arousal, you go into this like sympathetic overshoot. We get into, um, uh, fight or flight reactions. Um, and when we're training our sport dogs, that's a, that's a fine line to walk, to get enough arousal, to get the performance we want without triggering that um over arousal where we trigger the fight or flight but we not only do we have fight or flight which is where we get the barking spinning lunging you know all the the worked up behaviors but we also have fight flight freeze and on are the other two sides of that and so those are the those are the sensitive dogs that then shut down quit get silly roll over on their backs get sniffy run off and go back to their crates but it's actually just two different ways of expressing the same problem of going into too
0: high arousal and that's to me even in i work with border collies that's my speciality of course and yeah. That is so much the same as dogs that come to me because they chase things that move and they, you know, it's not just about the sport dogs. Is finding that balance between giving the dog enough arousal so they will pay attention to what you're asking them to do instead of chasing the car or chasing right. the bike. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, and being able to stay in that state where the dog is still able to listen. But there is enough arousal so they pick you instead of the bike that is going past Yes. Yes. It's, that, it's, exactly. it's, and, and it's, it's so hard when you're teaching that, especially to people that have never done sport before uh, with their mm-hmm. dogs, because all, all I can, all I see around nowadays with, with, with pet training is calm, teach calm, teach the dog to be calm. Mm, the dog, yeah. the border collies are not born calm. So yeah. you can teach it as much as you want, but the arousal is going to come up out eventually. And yeah. when it comes out, you don't know what to do with it. So you have to teach in arousal so that you teach yeah. them to control. Yes. that state of arousal.
1: And you re- and you make yeah. such an important point and and I've also like I I call it the Goldilocks syndrome like too hot too cold just right. And so you, you know a lot there it was like too hot like we talked about earlier in, in a lot of the agility training where there's like way too much arousal and then now the pendulums For a lot of people swinging the other way where they want everybody to be super calm and, and that's not what a border collie is. And so when you try and clamp down on a border collie and have, and and I see this a lot too, is the other end of the spectrum is super trying to have total control over the dog. Right. And, and trying to have, you know, the dog be able to sit perfectly still and be able to hold, you know, do all the impulse control and stuff. Then you're going to have a dog that's going to, their brains are going to explode as well. Yeah. Um, they these dogs are meant to move. They're meant to move yeah. fast. And our job is to channel that in, in productive ways, not put the brakes on and not jack it up. <laughs> right. So we want to, we want to kind of like find that balance. And like you said, it's hard and it's a real art and it takes time and it takes, um, and that's where the mindset stuff is so important because we can get ourselves all caught up in a lot of mental drama about like, am I good enough? Uh, you know, um like my dog's embarrassing me instead of just like learning how to stay neutral ourselves so that we can then make the really good decisions and and support our dogs when they need yeah
0: definitely definitely amazing so we are going to put all the links about these things we talked about on the show notes yeah so that can people can reach out and Uh yeah so people can reach out and you know and and get in touch with you and 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 learn because I think they're amazing, amazing things to learn. I'll I'll look into all thank of you. that myself. Amazing. Um, thank you very much. Um, we probably have another three hours to talk about things, me and you. But we'll try to break so, it too. down and yeah. and do yeah. and do it in different episodes. And um, yeah, that was that Absolutely. was really good. Well,
1: thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation. I look forward to future. Co- if you want me back on the on the podcast, great. But I'm just looking forward to, you know, more chats in general. Yeah. I think we, we yeah. have a, a lot to talk about for sure. That'll be Definitely.
0: great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Border Collie Geek podcast. If you want to know more about my work and how I can help you with your Border Collie, visit www.dattledoacademy.com or follow me on Facebook and Instagram.